according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 23. Proverbs 23, we're getting towards the bottom of the chapter here. Going through the words of the wise. There it is. Last week we were looking at words of the wise number 13. Do not envy sinners, but live in the fear of the Lord for eternity. Words of the wise number 14. Do not keep company with profligates. Uh, We've got to pick up on this today because we did not go through this slide yet. All right, yes, but the gluttons and the drunkards and the folks that are just abusive and everything that God supplies for our enjoyment and they just take it and make an idol out of it and uh, abuse themselves and abuse everybody in uh, the, uh, the rampant hedonism that sinners are prone to, prone to, to plunge into. Alright, well we'll pick up here. Before we get started though, let's take a moment for silent prayer, giving us the opportunity to settle our hearts and to uh, humble ourselves under the authority of the Word of God. Shall we pray? Most gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning thankful for grace and truth, rejoicing in the privilege and the blessing that we have to assemble together and calling upon your faithfulness once again, Father. We're approaching the end of this year. We've got a handful of Wednesday mornings remaining, and so we just commit ourselves to your faithfulness to lead us in the truth. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, so whatever it is, seven or eight more Wednesdays to go between, uh, we're already in November, right? So between November and December, and that'll get us through. Uh, remember the Proverbs series gets put on hold during the Through the Bible year. So uh, Lord willing and rapture pending, we'll come back after the Through the Bible year and uh, pick up and continue on with, uh, with where we leave it. All right, so let's look at Proverbs twenty three nineteen. Listen, my son, and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. Do not be with heavy drinkers of wine or gluttonous eaters of meat, for the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty. The heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty, and drowsiness will clothe one with rags. Now there's plenty of places in the Bible, obviously, where these sins are are addressed and dealt with, and and we're commanded not to be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, We understand the principles that apply related to uh, gluttony and drunkenness and so forth. But strictly speaking, this text is not commanding a believer not to be a drunkard and not to be a glutton. It's, It's commanding you not to be with, not to associate with, not to identify with or keep company with these folks. Because even if you're not the one committing the sin, the influence that they can have upon you, the self-destructive mindset that goes into that can can very much damage everybody all around. You know, the drunkard doesn't just destroy his life, he destroys his, his marriage and his family and his church and his neighborhood and his business and how much damage gets done with this out-of-control mindset. And so we have the principles here. It says, listen and be wise, Direct your heart in the way. Direct your heart in the way. 
And uh, again, that's verse 19. And, and we're, we're in control of our heart. That's why we need to have it kept in the Word of God. We need to have it transformed. And if you're not saved, obviously, then there's not much you can do. You're just, uh, you have that old wicked heart that we all were born with. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So the unbeliever, that unregenerate heart is, is without help and hopeless. But that's not the case for believers. When you're born again, you, uh, you now have a new life, you now have a new heart uh, by virtue of being a born again believer. And that new heart is what gets renewed in the Word of God as you saturate your soul with, with doctrine, as you live your life in the Word of God. And so directing your heart in the way, um, that means you're keeping your, your heart under the authority of doctrine. You're keeping your heart on the, the path that God has selected for believers. And this is the um, consistent with what we've already seen related to some earlier passages. Proverbs 4.14, for example. Do not enter the path of the wicked and do not proceed in the way of evil men. Avoid it. Do not pass by it. Turn away from it and pass on. And so in, in Proverbs 4 we have that warning. And again, strictly speaking, that's not really a warning against a particular sin, but against a path against a path or a lifestyle or a, a pattern that could be um, I think we need somebody let in that door there. There we go. All right. But do not enter the path of the wicked. So it's not necessarily a particular sin that's being addressed, but it's the path. It's the, the lifestyle. It's the way of life that is uh, characterized by people in this in this mindset, and uh, the issue is there. All right, uh, Proverbs nine and verse six: Forsake your folly and live, and proceed in the way of understanding. We want to be on this path. This is the way we want to be on the street. We want to be on. That's uh, in the fear of the Lord, uh, walking. Uh, what the New Testament tells us: running with endurance the race that's set before you. Uh, this is the path that we're expected to maintain. Now when it does say do not be with, do not be with, this is the Al-Tahi prohibition. And this, I want to spend some time with this. It's, it's curious, the Al-Tahi command. Let me open this up and we can take a look at it. Um, coming back to, there it is. Do not be with. Do not be with. This is a, um, a, a state of being. This is an existence that's being emphasized. This is like, a, like an I am statement from, uh, from Exodus. When, when, when Jehovah says, I am, that's the definition of who He is. He is the self-existent one. He is the one who is. None of the rest of us are I am. Only God is I am. The rest of us are finite beings. The rest of us came to be what we are and we weren't always what we are now and, and so forth. Um, and so we have vocabulary related to a Hebrew verb. It's a verb of being. The verb is hayah. And in this verb, let me open it up here. So you can see right here, here's your al-tahi, do not be. And so it's like, uh, it's the second person, not the first person. The first person is I am right? The third person would be he is, but the second person is you are, okay? Or if it's negated, if you put Al on the front of it, then it's negated, okay? 
I don't know if Al Dowdy knows this or not, but anytime you, you, you slap an owl in front of something, you're, you're making it negative. <laughs> All right, so um, Al Tahi. And so we have here Cal imperfect, second person, masculine, singular, juicive, and it's negated with the, with the Al. So do not be. Do not be. And as, as directly, this is the father telling his son, do not be. And then it tells you what not to be with or who not to be with. Okay? There or there. So, the do not be, the al he, do not be with drunkards or gluttons. You control where you are and who you're associating with and the crowd that you're running with. If you're going to keep your heart on the right path, you've got to be avoiding the folks that are on the wrong path and the damage that they do, particularly if you think, oh, well, it won't affect me. That's the pride that, that is uh, probably most vulnerable than anybody else that uh, you might be thinking about. Um, I thought it was kind of interesting just looking at this phrase, this al he imperative. It's, uh, it's curious because I found seven of them actually. Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes have seven do not be imperatives. And I thought that might be useful um, to, uh, to kind of make a little list and, and, and jot them down and, and consider what they're about. So let's take a look at those. Starting with Psalm 32.9 and then ending with Ecclesiastes 7 and in the middle um, you got those Proverbs that are mentioned there. Psalm 32, 9. If I make that too low, then we can't read the verses. So let's give you time to write the verses down. Psalm 32, 9, Proverbs 3, 7, Proverbs 22, 26, Proverbs 23, 20. That's our verse today to not, to, do not be with uh, the drunkards or the gluttons. Um, we'll have another one coming up in Proverbs 24, 28, and then Ecclesiastes, two verses in chapter 7, verse 16 and verse 17. So Psalm 32, 9. Paragraph begins with verse 8. This is a Davidic psalm. We've been in Psalm 32 a number of times uh, here fairly recently. But um, I will instruct you and teach you in the way in which you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. What a blessing that not only are we saved by the grace of God, but that God himself takes it upon himself to be our teacher, to uh, not expecting us to figure things out for ourselves, but he's guiding us and teaching us. He's making clear what's pleasing in his sight. So we have the promise of his role as a teacher. And then he says, do not be, this is the al he expression from uh, from Proverbs 23. Al-Tahi, do not be as the horse or as the mule which have no understanding. And you think, well, that's kind of a no-brainer, right? Who wants to be like a horse? Who wants to be like a mule? You would be surprised. It's actually more common than, than you would think. I think it's uh, trendy. I think it's popular. I think it's appreciated that um, a lot of uh, churchy type people, religious type people, they would, it's much simpler for them if you just tell them what to do and they can do it and they don't have to think. You don't even have to think about it, bro. You just do what you're told, okay? And, and it certainly is um, uh, fashionable if you, if you don't want to study to show yourself approved, if you don't want to do the hard work of searching the scriptures and seeing if these things are so. All you have to be is just a, a, a good faithful follower 
you know, do what you're told, give your money. Uh, if, you're, if you're part of the right church, then, uh, then you're set. And uh, that's how a lot of religion operates. But the Bible says, do not be as the horse or the mule which have no understanding, whose trappings include bit and bridle to hold them in check, otherwise they will not come near to you. So do you really want to be just a, an animal? Do you want to be an unthinking follower that just responds to a bit and a bridle? Um, that responds to you know a device or manipulation of some sort so that you do what you're told and you go where where they want you to go? No, that's not what we're called to be. We're called to be in the image of God. We're called to be His fellow workers. We're called to be glorifying Jesus Christ. We're called to think. And by the way, this is from an Old Testament perspective. How much more is this applicable in the body of Christ? How much more is this applicable for you and I today that are baptized in a union with Jesus Christ and seated at the Father's right hand with an Old Testament and a New Testament with a complete canon of Scripture? I mean, it is, it is orders of magnitude greater than the Old Testament. But even in the Old Testament, under law, even Israel and their theocracy and their stewardship under law, uh, no Old Testament believer was expected to be a mindless drone, was expected to be just a, an unthinking follower. That, that from, from Job to Daniel to Moses, I mean, pick any, any Old Testament hero you want, those heroes, they knew who they were serving and why. They knew their doctrine, they knew their word of God that shaped their thinking. So don't be as the horse or as the mule. <laughs> okay? Animals have their place. God gave us animals for a reason. And they, and, uh, and they should bless us and we should put them to work and they should, uh, we should have dominion over them. But we can't talk doctrine with, with your horse, right? You can't, you can't fellowship with your dog, with your cat. You can't just sit down and, and discuss the, the glories of, of a passage of Scripture with, with the animal. They're, they're unthinking. They're unreasoning. Okay, creatures of instinct, born to be killed in uh, whatever fashion we so choose. All right, so do not be as the horse. There's the first owl to he that we have, all right? Uh, in Proverbs 3, 7, additional owl to he's. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. Or it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. This is fundamental to the Christian way of life. You'll notice um, some of these are memory verses that we've had since we, kindergarten, right? We've had these uh, practically all our lives. If you were saved young and grew up in Sunday school, some of these are some of the first Bible verses you ever memorized. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, do not lean on your own understanding. I mean, you talk about a recipe for success versus a recipe for disaster. <laughs> Just trying to do it yourself with your own understanding. Forget that. God's got a plan. Use His plan. Walk in Him. In all your ways acknowledge Him. He will make your path straight. So decision making in the will of God, anybody? This is what it's about. You're acknowledging Him in all your ways. This is what I'm commanded to acknowledge. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And this is where I think that the right attitude with doctrine, the right attitude with humility, genuine humility, not something phony, is um, even, even mature believers uh, that have been in doctrine for years and years that are legitimately wise, it's not, uh, it's not wrong to identify that, to be thankful for that. But then again, you want to stop and have that humility perspective to say, you know what? 
Um, I'm just scratching the surface. I've got, I've got, there's so much I don't know. And the more wise you, you become, the more wise you realize you're not there yet, right? And you got to, um, you know, when I talk to John Eichmann or Ralph Braun or Emil Schmidt, some of these older pastors that ordained me that are 86, 87, and, and 90, um, you know, you, you look at these men that have been, they've been in doctrine longer than I've been alive, and they'll tell you. They're, they're still learning. There's still, there's things they don't know and, and uh, things they're trying to, uh, to get a handle on. So don't be wise in your own eyes. If any man thinks he is wise, right, or thinks that he knows, he doesn't know as he ought to know. There's, there's so many expressions that we have. Um, we need to become foolish so that we may become wise. And if we ever lose that attitude, we're, we're actually on the track to imitate Satan instead of imitating Christ. 2226, this was not that long ago, just a chapter prior to where we are today. Do not be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts. And I don't know, I'd have to go back and listen to how I taught it. I may have not taught it correctly um, because it's it's uh, more than saying don't give the pledges and, and don't do this. It, it is similar to the text today, don't even be among them. Don't be associated with them. Don't be connected with them. Don't be um, in that mindset to be among those who give pledges, among those who become guarantors for debts. And so similar to what we're looking at this morning is it goes beyond just you know the things that you yourself are doing. It's the people you're associated with. What are they doing? And how do their attitudinal uh, problems, how do they affect you? Because if you're surrounded by this as an attitude, um, trust me, we're, we, uh, you know, I think humanity is designed to be relationship-oriented. Uh, humanity is designed to be social. And so if, if this attitude is just surrounding you and everybody has this mindset, how long does it take before... And you can hold your views, but then it's, it's just less and less comfortable to voice them out loud. You keep them more to yourself. You keep them more to yourself. And then before you know it, you know, you're starting to, your, your thinking crosses that, that boundary and now you're, you're right there with them, I think. Anyway, do not be among those. Same thing with what we're seeing today. Do not be with the heavy drinkers of wine or with the gluttonous eaters of meat. This centers on our associations and who we're connected to and who we fellowship with and who we spend time with. And if this is the, uh, if this is the if, if if you're just surrounded by a crowd that that every night is a beer bash, every night is is another bender, and uh, what are you really doing? And even even if you you go home sober every night or, or less intoxicated than most, um, that's still that's not a night that you were glorifying Jesus Christ and fellowshipping in doctrine and building up the saints and serving the the congregation and and uh, and all these things. There's certainly a, a more productive use of your time that could have happened had you not been hanging out with this crowd. Proverbs twenty four twenty eight. 28. Al-Tahi, do not be, do not be a witness against your neighbor without cause and do not deceive with your lips. And even the concept of without cause requires discussion because there's always a cause. <laughs> even if it's not the real cause, even if it's not the true cause, if there's a pretext, if um, this is, you know, if you are bearing false witness in a, in a legal proceeding because you want it or somebody else wants you to or there's some, some motivation to go on, uh, it's not for no reason. 
that you're willing to to commit perjury or, or, or utter a lie before the judge in court. Um, somebody's getting something out of it. There's some benefit to the deceit or it wouldn't be happening. And, uh, you know, are you, are you testifying for, is this like, um, uh, you know, just think of, of uh, Ahab and Jezebel and, and, and you want to manipulate something because there's a plot of land and you're lusting after it or you want to you obtain some wealth or you want to get some, some financial benefit and if somebody suffers, well, you know, it's kind of how the world works, right? You've got to tear them down to build yourself up. The world has no compunctions about this. The world has no, they'll tell any lie and, and even if they don't get caught or even if they do get caught, <laughs> as long as it gets covered, who cares, right? And, and it's just, and there's, I don't know, we got politicians today, we've got media today, just shameless and, and they can say things that you can prove are, are demonstrably false, but they don't care because they're not going to be called on it. The media is going to repeat the lie. And as long as they agree to the lie, then everybody can just keep on pretending. Well, what are we doing? How, how, how does the God of truth approve that? What, what is that in, uh, in the Christian way of life? Anyway, do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, thus I shall do to him as he has done to me. I will render to the man according to his work. Just so carnal if we're going to be imitating the world in this regard. All right. Nope, don't do that. Get back to... Let's look at Ecclesiastes now. Now Ecclesiastes takes a little bit of work. We've got to... um, realize that much of Ecclesiastes is human viewpoint that the Holy Spirit inspired so that it could be recorded for us so we could learn from it. There are places though where glimpses of truth peek through where things that we find that are consistent with Proverbs we can then appreciate and adapt and make use of. Things that are not quite consistent with Proverbs we look at and we ask ourselves, is this the way God looks at it or is this the way a carnal believer looks at it? Is this just simply under the sun as, uh, in, as secular thinking would approach it? Or is this consistent with divine viewpoint? Okay, So Solomon does say here, and, and I've got to get a larger context for this. The verses we're looking at are 16 and 17. Um, yeah, I don't want to read the whole chapter. So let's just pick up with verse 15 in the paragraph. I have seen everything during my lifetime of futility. Remember when, when Solomon just came to the end of his considerations, it was just vanity of vanities, all his vanity. He says, what's the point? What's the point in being wise? What's the point in having money? What's the point in this? What's the point in that? If everybody just dies anyway, then what's the point? So I've seen everything during my lifetime of futility, my lifetime of emptiness. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness, and there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in his wickedness. And that just seems wrong. Okay, Solomon's looking around and he says, how come this wicked guy gets to live longer in his wickedness? And how come this righteous guy dies younger in his righteousness? And, and you can't help in human viewpoint, you can't help but look at that and say, if I was God, I would have a better plan than that. <laughs> if I was God, then the righteous would live longer and the wicked would, would really get it coming to them and they would be miserable and they would die young and, and all the rest. Well, that's not the way it works. 
And God, uh, God's in charge of all of this. So verse 16 then says, do not be excessively righteous and do not be overly wise. Why should you ruin yourself? So here's a couple of do not be's. And we've got to ask ourselves, is this divine viewpoint or is this human viewpoint being reflected here? Do not be excessively righteous. Okay? You know, it's, it's okay to be a Christian. It's okay to go to church. I mean, come on. I mean, at least, you know, once a month, a couple times. Hey, don't be a fanatic about it, though. I mean, you definitely you don't want to be coming seven times a week <laughs> in, a, in a through the Bible kind of a year. That's, that's kind of excessive, right? That's I mean, I'm all for being a moral churchgoer and whatnot. That's, you know, some, some morality never hurts. But you, you don't want too much of that. You don't want too much of that. So don't be excessively righteous. And don't be overly wise. You know, if you know too much Bible, well then that just, that's, uh, that's not good either. Why should you ruin yourself? Because that's, I mean, honestly, if you, if you take it too far, then you never have any fun. If you take it too far, then there's a long list of fun activities that you won't let yourself do because you, you're somehow convinced that it's sin or it's wrong or God doesn't approve. And then the corollary in verse 17. Do not be excessively wicked and don't be a fool. So, I mean, it's okay to be a little bit wicked. <laughs> All right. Because it's fun. But just don't take it too far. Okay? Have some kind of control over your wickedness. So don't be excessively righteous, don't be excessively wicked. This is a, like an ode to the, the, the great moderates of, of world history. Um, <laughs> so do not be excessively wicked. Okay? And, and honestly, is this not our, the, the mindset of, of our culture today? You know, that it's, it's not that bad. You know, I'm not really hurting anybody. It's consensual. You know, I want to do it, she wants to do it, so it's, it's, it's consensual. We're not really hurting anybody. And, and I'm not excessive about it, okay? I mean, it's not like I'm, I'm sleeping with 200 people. Um, you know, it's, 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 I only, you know, I limit it to long-term relationships, meaningful relationships. If I really just, you know, if, if I really love the person, okay? And, and so it's not excessive. It's in moderation, Oh, and also don't be a fool. Don't be a fool. So, um, you know, uh, don't, uh, some, some folks would uh, say this, well, don't, don't mess with a married woman. Oh, that's just, you're asking for trouble there. And, 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 and that's just foolish and, and different things. But the way, what they consider foolishness, though, is not the Word of God and the absolute standard of righteousness, okay? That fornication is always a sin, even a little bit of it. Adultery is always wrong, even a little bit of it, okay? And, uh, and the attitude here. So clearly these verses are not divine viewpoint, right? We're, we're getting the point here that Solomon is just giving kind of secular tips for, for, uh, for a secular life. Do not be excessively wicked and do not be a fool. Why should you die before your time? And that's the thing. And even hedonists realized, uh, and, and the ancient Greeks too, they, they debated this. You had Epicureans and you had Stoics and you had different groups. But even the hedonist philosophies that were all about pleasure, all about what is, what is enjoyable and what is fun, even they understood that moderation 
was 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 better in the long term because because yeah you could you could ruin it die too early and too much too much of the partying lifestyle and you and you die at 25 or 20 or whatever and uh, that just damages your capacity to keep having fun into your into your older years so why should you die before your time all right so there's a couple of al tahees that uh, I don't recommend we can't be applying those in ourselves. But the ones from Psalms and the ones from Proverbs are clearly applicable. Applicable to uh, any dispensation for Israel, for the church, um, tribulational saints after we're gone, millennial saints when we come back. Um, believers, regardless of stewardship, can apply those other al tahi imperatives just fine. All right. So that is do not keep company with profligates. Proverbs twenty three nineteen. Let's get this back down again. And let's take a look at verse 22. 22 and 23. Words of the wise, number 15. More honoring your father and your mother. Words of the wise, 15. Remember, there's 30 of these statements all together. By the time we get to 24, 22, we will have gone through all 30 of them. I'm not sure that, I don't know, that's a lot of verses between now and December 29th. <laughs> we'll see how far we get, okay? I had thought it would be nice, it would be ideal, it would be sweet if we could get through all 30 of these before the, the year-long break, but it, it's just not looking like, like we're going to do that. It wouldn't be fair to do that, to, to try to rush through some of these. <clears throat> Honoring father and mother does not stop when the child becomes an adult. Listen to your father who begot you and do not despise your mother when she is old. Now it, it does, there's a change obviously, there's a generational change that happens. That when you leave home, when you leave father and mother and you cleave to one another, the two become one flesh that God has always built in a generational accountability with adult children. And so adult children um, are no longer under the absolute sovereignty, they're no longer um, subject as, as far as and, uh, to obedience as uh, children are commanded to obey their parents. But still on an adult capacity when your father has uh, been in the Word of God and he's been under teaching and he's been uh, making wisdom applications a lot longer than you have, <laughs> why would you not listen to him? All right, Why would you not listen to him? And it doesn't mean you have to do what he says, but you should give him a hearing. You should listen to what he has to say and you should consider. Likewise, do not despise your mother when she is old. All right, that the, uh, the, the privilege and blessing that we have to make a return to our parents. And this is what the Old Testament and the New Testament talk about, the duty that we have to widows, to the older generation. Um, this is why uh, you know we just had the announcement that went out last week about Jim and his his new living arrangements, and and I'm I'm happy while I'm sad at the same time. <laughs> you know, it's it's disappointing that he's not local anymore and can't be attending here, but but I get it because um, you know relocating to where his daughter is, I get that. That's that's biblical. That's that's a, that's a beautiful thing. So we want to keep keep um, supporting that. And, uh, and, and, you know, we got phones and we can call and we can go visit. It's not that far away um, related to that. 
So listen to your father who begot you. Do not despise your mother when she is old. Buy truth and do not sell. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. Buy truth and do not sell. Get wisdom and instruction and understanding. And these verses are linked. They're linked together poetically. They're linked together conceptually. We've got to understand that in the fellowship across generations, for an adult son with an, with, a, with an older father, with an adult daughter and an older mother, the blessings that we have here in these generations, the opportunities that we have to learn, okay? And I think this holds true in every phase of life. This holds true, um, obviously, when you leave home and you think you have all the answers and you know everything. But then you become a parent and now there's a baby in your house and now there's a child that has to be raised and you realize maybe I don't know everything I thought I knew. And you have that opportunity to glean, to learn from the older generation. And you may, you may um, you know, take a vow <laughs> and say, well, when I'm a father, I'm never going to do this. Or when I have my own children, here's, what, here's the last thing I'm ever going to do. Okay, And sometimes we do and sometimes we don't. And it's curious Sometimes we rethink certain things, okay? And then there's um, older stages when the kids are teenagers. And then there's older stages when, when your kids leave home and they start doing the things that you're not happy about, okay? At each one of these phases, if your folks are still alive, if the, the, the generation prior to you is still available, and, and in, in the ideal world, everybody's saved, everybody's on doctrine, everybody has a defined viewpoint, okay? Think about the resources that you have available to go to that older generation and listen. Listen to your father who begot you. And you're going to have the opportunity to acquire truth, the opportunity to acquire and not sell. We'll talk about these terms here in a moment. To acquire Wisdom, uh, truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Four dimensions of truth here. Truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And we're acquiring every dimension. We're acquiring every element of, of doctrine. Acquiring and not selling. So we have, uh, we have this blessing. And this is really an honor. This is not obedience, this is honoring. And it doesn't stop when the child becomes an adult. In fact, I think it doesn't stop. I've preached this in funerals. When they're with the Lord in glory, you continue to honor your father and your mother by continuing to live out the, the, uh, the, the example that they set for you. So we have it here. Of course, the command that comes in the, in the uh, Pentateuch in the Ten Commandments, honor, the, the Decalogue, I meant to say, Honor your father and mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. And then think about it. This is not just an extension of, of a biological lifetime, but it is also increasing the capacity that you have to pass on that wisdom to the next generation, the next generation, to have um, you know, the multiple generations alive at the same time to be able to fellowship and doctrine this way that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. Jesus addressed this because the Pharisees of his day had uh, found a way, some fine print, they'd found a way to get around their duties to their parents. And they were very religious about how they did it. 
And uh, this is where they, they come to him and they're all critical. Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They do not wash their hands when they eat bread. The Pharisees had instituted a ritual purification system that's not in the Bible anywhere. It's not commanded. You know, Leviticus, you know what Leviticus was about? Leviticus was about the Levites. <laughs> Leviticus was about the priesthood. The priesthood had cleansing procedures. The priesthood had uh, mechanisms in place in which they functioned in their priesthood, in which when they wore their robes and they were offering their sacrifices and they had to pour out the blood and they had to do all the, the Levitical procedures was Levitical. But what do the Pharisees do? What did the, uh, uh, in, in this, they start creating systems by which non-Levites could, uh, I mean, look at Paul. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. What did they have to, you know, a Pharisee and the son of Pharisees? Why would they have a ritual purification thing in place? Well, they made it up. They made it up, they held themselves to it, and then they imposed it on other people. And uh, by looking down your nose and controlling the legalism racket, you can uh, always convince yourself that you're better than them. And uh, so forth. So, why do your disciples, what they really want to say is, you. (laughs) Jesus wasn't doing it either. But at least if they can attack his disciples, then through them they can get to Jesus. Um, You know, if they weren't such cowards, they could just come right out and say, why aren't you doing this? But your disciples, they don't wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? So he says, you've got this marvelous tradition you invented and you're violating Scripture. For God said, honor your father and mother and he who speaks evil of father and mother is to be put to death. You guys are violating Exodus chapter 20 and you do it every day. But you say... Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God. So they found, it's almost like a, um, like a tax shelter. It's almost like they're, they're laundering money. They're, they're, they're able to take their wealth and instead of wasting it on supporting their parents, they're able to um, create a you know, like today, imagine today they would have a 501c3. They would, they would couch it in some kind of a, a tax-free thing and, and, and uh, as if it's some kind of a church uh, thing. Anyway, they call it korban. They call it dedicated to the Lord. And so it's, it's dedicated to the Lord. It belongs uh, to, and it doesn't belong to the Lord. It belongs to the Pharisees. It belongs to their religious system. But because it's korban, they can claim that they don't have the, uh, that their parents are not entitled to it. So whatever, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would, be, that would help you has been given to God or dedicated uh, korban, right? It's a gift, it's an offering. He is not to honor his father or his mother and by this you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you and, and, and yeah, they stand condemned. Their system was a gimmick and it was a manipulation and it was totally wrong and yet they were totally convinced that they were righteous. You know? I mean, this is how insane does it get, right? The religious leaders that, that, were, that were working to get Jesus murdered, and they, but they wouldn't cross the boundary of the, of the uh, praetorium there um, 
they, they made Pilate come out to them while they manipulate Pilate to try to get Pilate to execute Jesus Christ. And, and the reason why? Well, because it's Passover. They have to keep themselves ritually pure. They, they're going to go partake of a Passover meal. They can't cross into the, into the Roman praetorium. See? Never mind the fact they're committing murder. They're, they're lying in court. They're, they're committing perjury and all this other stuff. But they're going to stay religious about all that they do. So Jesus addresses this in Matthew 15. And, and again, we are honoring father and mother. Now, when we get back to this buy truth and do not sell it, the verbs for buying and selling may not actually be a true buying and selling. It's, it's acquiring and surrendering is what it is. It can be. Uh, makar certainly is a selling term but even if you don't make money off of the deal, you're still surrendering your right to, uh, to use it. You're surrendering your right to enjoy it, to make use of it. It is a, a surrender that takes place. The kana does not have to be financial either. And in fact, uh, the kana is the word that we looked at in Proverbs 8 with respect to acquiring wisdom when the father begat um, Jesus Christ. We have the kana verb that's there. But rather than a buying or selling motif, verse 23 stresses the acquiring of truth, wisdom, instruction, and understanding. And it forbids the surrendering it, the makher, the surrendering it. And so as I translate this verse, instead of um, buying, just getting, acquiring, not surrendering, acquire truth and do not surrender it. First of all, we know it's not financial because you're not, how do you buy wisdom? Now, you can't buy wisdom. You can't spend money to obtain wisdom. Uh, even if we have buying and selling in a, in a metaphor, that's not the reality. It's not for sale. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God and it comes from the agents that He employs, the older brothers, older sisters, the pastors, the, the Bible teachers. There are human beings that He'll employ in order to convey doctrine, but it's still the wisdom is coming from the Lord. It's not coming from those human beings. And so you are obtaining. And as you're listening to your father, as you're listening to your mother, you are obtaining the truth, the uh, wisdom, the instruction, and the understanding. And you're not selling you're not diminished, and they're not selling. They're not selling, okay? And this is, uh, this is a marvelous thing with doctrine. So uh, in these verbs that we're looking at, so the, the verb for acquiring is the verb kana, Q-A-N-A-H. Like think about Cain and Abel. And when Eve conceived and gave birth, she said, I have acquired a man. And she named him acquired. She named him Cain from this verb kana. It means acquired. And, and that's all it means is to get something. It's like the English word get. And it is so um, loose. It's so generic. It's so ubiquitous. It's just get. And it doesn't tell you how you got it. It just says you got it. And so you can use it for all kinds of things. You know, I think about how I got my wife. I think about how I got my car. I think about how I got my, my uh, children. I think about how I got my church. I think about how I got my spiritual gift. And anything that I've gotten, you can get them in a lot of different ways. You can find, you can buy, you can steal, you can build, you can birth, you can create, you can... I mean, the fact is, what's being stressed with the verb kana is the acquisition. 
that you didn't have it, but now you do. So you've acquired it. And now you have it. So it stresses the acquisition of truth, wisdom, instruction, understanding. But if the parents are bequeathing this, if this teaching is going forth, are they losing it? Are they surrendering it? When I go to H-E-B and I give them five bucks and they give me a gallon of milk, three bucks, five bucks, I don't know, with inflation anymore, three bucks, okay. So you give them three bucks, everything's going up though. I know bacon, we were talking about bacon last night that used to be $5.99, now it's $8.99. But you you hand them the dollars, they hand you the, uh, the thing you're buying, okay? And so there's a surrender. I am surrendering the money, they are surrendering the milk. And so there's an acquiring and there's a surrendering. And in a free exchange, both parties are happy, both parties are profiting, both parties are benefiting. And, uh, but with truth, with truth, if I'm teaching doctrine this morning, does that mean I have less doctrine than I started with? And you guys now have more doctrine than you had when you first walked in? The fact is we both gain. This is the marvelous thing because it's more blessed to give than to receive. And as I am conveying truth, I'm, I'm learning like you're learning. And so um, it's actually a, a profit, profit. Uh, we're acquiring. And even the one that's giving is acquiring. And um, so how can, how can you acquire truth if, uh, if you're giving the truth, if you're conveying the information? Because see, it's more than just information. The Word of God is alive and powerful. We're living in this doctrine. We're living in this truth. And every time we apply it, every time we live it, every time we think about it, every time we talk about it, every time it just reinforces it, right? It builds it up in our soul. It builds it up in our, in our uh, capacity to appreciate it. And honestly, <laughs> you know, you give advice to your adult kids and sometimes the advice you give them is the reflection upon the way you wish you would have done it. <laughs> and you say, you know, Here's what I did, and I regret it. I, I, you know, I would have. It would have been better to do this, and now they've got a chance to do this, and they've got a chance to uh, to not repeat the mistake that that you made, and and all the rest. All right. Makar or maker is the verb for selling, and if money is exchanged, I don't mind the translation to sell. I don't mind the translation to sell if cash has been exchanged, but if there's no money exchanged, then maybe a a word like surrender would be better. You're not relinquishing custody. You're not surrendering the the use of it. Honestly, when, when believers are fellowshipping in truth, both believers have the use of the truth that they're fellowshipping in, okay? And so I share a passage, you share a passage, we're, we're sharing with one another, and we we all have continued use of the doctrine that we're sharing. And I hope that makes sense. You know, the, the whole idea of, this is why, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the continued enjoyment of its use or the discontinued enjoyment of its use. With money, when it's gone, it's gone. You spent it. That money is gone. And you no longer, if you, if you spent... If you spent that money on, on the milk, then you've got to have to find other money to spend on something else. You can't just keep reusing those same $3 over and over and over again. Because <laughs> that's not how money works. 
you spent it, it's gone. Okay? You no longer enjoy the use of it because now somebody else has the use of it. Somebody else has the enjoyment of it, the, the benefit of it, the value of it, the, the usage. Remember, ownership uh, conveys usage. But with truth, every element of truth that you communicate, you still can make use of it. Because it's truth. Truth is truth. So you have conveyed it, but you still enjoy the use of it. All right. Verses 24 and 25. Verses 24 and 25. The father of the righteous will rejoice. And it's interesting, some folks actually blend these together when you find different Hebrew scholars and they're trying to outline the verses differently. Um, most of them will try to end up with 30 by the time they're done <laughs> because of there, there's a sense in which the word 30 might be in, in one of those earlier verses in, in the previous chapter. Um, and they, they end up with 30 different divisions. They're not always identical. They're not always identical divisions. And so, um, for example, um, there are some folks that separate verse 22 from verse 23 and they don't put them together as a, you know, like we just did with, with words of the wise number 15, combining those two. Likewise, uh, there are folks that will take verses 24 and 25 and they actually make all four of these verses one unit, 22, 23, 24, 25. So depending on what commentary you're reading or what journal you're reading or so forth, uh, simply because you got father and mother again. You got father in verse 24, father and mother in verse 25, and it just seems uh, that it goes so well with verse 22 that they take all four verses as a unit and they, they put them together. I've, I've not done that. I, I tend to think that, I don't know, it's better just to divide them up. So I put verses 24 and 25 as my words of the wise number 16. And don't be surprised either, by the way, There we go. If I was to open up a, an NIV Bible or some of these that have the pericope headings. Does New King James do it? Okay, New King James puts 24 and 25 together. They put these little spaces here. So they put those little spaces there to try to separate the little... Oh, but see there. They got a space between 22 and a space between 23. And then they put 24 and 25 together. So again, you're going to have some variety depending upon which Bible you're reading. That's a New King James right there. Um, the NIV is the one. New International Version. Yeah, this is the one that went so far as to put headings on top of each verse. So there's uh, saying number 17, and in the NIV Bible, they put verses 22, 23, 24, 25, and they put all of those together under saying number 17. So, just so you're aware of this, in, uh, in my outline... Verses 24 and 25 are saying number 16, okay? <laughs> and I'm not going to, you know, 
We have different folks want to outline these a little bit different. These verses are all sayings of the wise, and in Proverbs is a bit um, shotgun uh, scattered anyway. All right. But we do have additional applications of honoring father and mother. In the earlier verses, the honoring was done by listening, fellowshipping, learning truth. There was an honoring that was taking place by um, the acquiring of, of wisdom and understanding, uh, all centered on fellowship, right? With, with truth. Here, the honoring of father and mother is centered on the emotions. It's centered on the joy that can take place. The joy that is actually generated, that is brought into existence by the, uh, the children that are pleasing them, all right? Walking in wisdom, walking in righteousness. And so this walk, the father of the righteous will greatly rejoice. If the son is a righteous man, if the daughter is a righteous woman, a, a believer that's saved, that's the only way you can become righteous, and then walking the walk of righteousness. That is joy-producing to the, uh, the earlier generations, shall we say. He who sires a wise son will be glad in him. So clearly the begetting activity is there. He who sires a wise son. Let your father and your mother be glad. In other words, don't spark the opposite of, of joy. Don't uh, abandon your righteousness. Don't abandon your wisdom. Don't walk the way the world walks. That's heartbreaking to parents, watching their children who, sh- who do know better, who are raised better, who are trained better, who, who uh, they're, they're believers and they know the truth, but they're walking like unbelievers and ignoring the truth. They're walking like unbelievers and they're just conducting themselves in this world as if they were of the world. It's horrendous. And so uh, instead of joy, you're going to end up with shame, you're going to end up with sorrow. Let your father and your mother be glad. Let her rejoice who gave birth to you. Um, I mean, let's face it, you gave her enough pain already in the, uh, in the labor and delivery. <laughs> you don't need to give her more pain in her older years because of your foolish walk and the dumb stuff that you're doing. That just brings more uh, shame and more regret and more sorrow and more, um, you, you should be producing the joy. The righteous and wise walk not only pleases the parents, but it honors the parents. And it's even to their credit. To their credit. And I think the examples in Genesis 24 and 1 Samuel 17, I'll, I'll pick up on these next week rather than try to rush through. But, but you know, if you see a young person, uh, a young person that's obviously under doctrine, obviously living right, obviously making right choices. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to death with these college freshmen that come and visit here and that they want to maintain a, a, a church family. They want to be in the Word of God. They, you know, they're away from home. They're in college. They could do whatever they're going to do. They could party with the UT party crowd, but they want to be under teaching. See, I think that's great. That's, that's exciting. And it's credit to their parents that, uh, that their parents raised them to have the right perspective for doctrine, for the Word of God. So we'll talk about that as well. It pleases their parents, it honors the parents, and it gives, it is to the credit, I mean ultimately to the grace of God, but to the, in God's grace, to the credit of those parents that by God's grace they could train up the, the children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
And so you want to know, man. Or anytime I see, um, and, and especially too, the older believers. Well, who were your role models? Who were your examples, right? When I find out that, um, you know, I talk about Eichmann and Braun and Jensen and I talk about um, Carnegie and, and uh, Theme and I talk about um, Schmidt, Pastor Schmidt. So those are the older men that shaped my ministry when I was in seminary and, and a younger pastor. But I go to those old guys and I say, who were your mentors? Who were your, who were your role models? Who, you know, who did you learn from and who, who had an impact in your life? And, uh, and especially when they didn't have parents that were saved uh, for some time. Aspects there. Anyway, I'm out of time. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for truth. I pray that you continue to bless each of these Wednesday mornings uh, as we're approaching the end of the year. We're approaching the, the uh, stoppage of Proverbs. And so we just um, we trust in your faithfulness to, to lead and direct. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.